If you're just joining us on JupyterTube, one of the things that's really excited about today's stream is we are also concurrently running a test podcasting 2.0 compliant feed for the show. This is something we've wanted to do for a long time with Office Hours. And uh, if you go to the podcast index or you look in Podverse for Jupiter test signal, you'll see that there is a essentially really kind of crappy small office hours feed that I'm going to use for just a few weeks while we test things out. And one of the things we're testing today is the live item tag lit, which enables the ability for us to stream inside podcasting 2.0 apps. And you can even, this is opt in, but you can even opt in to turning on notifications. So you get a push notification when one of our shows goes live. Now this is actually pretty relevant because we're doing something ridiculous and we're recording Linux Unplugged on a Tuesday this week. We, we always do it on Sunday at, at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. You can, you know, you can almost make your calendar around it. However, scheduling conflicts come up sometimes. And so this week we're doing it Tuesday. But we didn't even decide when we were recording until like yesterday afternoon. We couldn't give people a heads up that we were changing the scheduling date. But with this system... If people are subscribed to our shows in a podcasting 2.0 app that supports the lit tag, you'll just see it in your podcast app list. So when you're looking at your list of podcasts in your podcast player, like say Podverse, you'll see your favorite shows and next to Linux Unplugged or Office Hours or whatever show it might be, there'll be a little live badge and you can tap that and it will tune into the stream and you can play it live. And it's fantastic because it also lets you embed the chat room. It lets you include alternative stream enclosures. So maybe for some reason your app won't play the audio stream. We can provide the PeerTube link as an alternative link enclosure, and people could just tap that. Really powerful stuff. The other thing that's really nice is all of the items that would normally be in our RSS feed are available for this live stream. So we can put production credits we can give everybody a, a credit in the show like myself and Brent and Drew and Wes or whoever else is involved with the production. We can have the value tag in there so you can boost the show live. It'll The little boost button will show up on the live stream, which is a lot of fun. And, of course, there's things that are going to be like only published features like transcripts that require processing or uh, chapters because you have to like figure out what the chapters are after the fact and put the time markers in there. But that will also be in there once the show's published. It's Office Hours with me, Chris. Oh, and Brent's here, too. Well, hello. Good morning, Brentley. Hey Good there. morning. Good to be here, Stay as warm. always. Warm. Yes. Yes. You? Oh, I'm on fire. Oh. I'm on fire. The good kind of fire or the bad kind of fire? No, the good kind. Oh, good. The good kind. Um, you know, I, I kind of lulled myself into an extremely productive stretch. And uh, this episode is going to be the living proof of that productive stretch. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was like resistant, hesitant, but then I got like a 6 p.m. second wind and I just went all in, you know? So very excited to tell you all about that. We're testing some really cool things in today's episode. And of course, we are joined by the old trusty virtual lug. Hello, mumble room. Time appropriate greetings. Hello, Chris. Hello, Hello, guys. Hello, everyone. Hello, Hello, everybody. Hello up there in the quiet listening, too. So I I, uh, I think we should start, Brantley, with something that uh, is just worth following up on from a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, our OBS machine 
was in a real bad state when we started recording the show, as you probably recall. Well, exactly two weeks ago on this very show. Yes, yes. It was not not a good way. And um, we decided to uh, do the right thing and just ignore it and proceed forward with the show, which ultimately proved to be the correct thing to do. That, that was the correct scenario. Um, and then it was really fortunate because Office Hours was the last live production for that week. Everything else being recorded was off air and published offline. So this machine was able to sit until Wes and I could get together on Saturday and uh, begin to do a transition to the Thalio. Realizing around Thursday, oh, I'm going to need to power that thing up one more time to back stuff up. (laughs) (laughs) And so like, I wasn't so sure. Right. But I took it out of the studio and I brought it up to my office upstairs and I hooked it all up and took me forever to find a monitor that was compatible with it because for whatever reason, the only port that lights up in the NVIDIA card in that OBS machine is the DVI port. Things got like four display ports and an HDMI. <laughs> None of them work. Oh, my god. DVI, though, that works. Yeah. So I'm sitting there like an idiot, you know, walking around the studio, probably for 25, 30 minutes, trying to find a monitor that's got a DVI port that I can steal. Inevitably, had to steal it from my node. Whoa. You know my rule on that, too. I don't touch oh. the node. <laughs> oh, Chris. I know. But I had to get the OBS machine transitioned. It was for the audience, Brent. So we got the files backed up to NextCloud. Got the machine swapped over. We talked about that in Linux Unplugged. It went really, really well. And this is the first office hours where we're actually streaming using the new setup. And like tons of stuff doesn't work. Like your camera keeps freezing. Mm-hmm. Up. The audio is a little off. Um, probably not totally dialed in. The, the whole setup is just really rough. It's got a lot of potential. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to give us five years of runway. I have no doubt about it, at least. But this is the first office hours we've done on the system. And because I also did, I didn't think about it because it's been two weeks. I didn't think about it. So last night, I also came up with a brand new strung together podcasting 2.0 compliant test feed for the show called the Jupiter Test Signal. It's beautiful, Brent. And it supports the live item tag. And we are live using Podcasting 2.0's live item tag right now as we do this. That deserves applause. But all of that infrastructure is brand new. All brand new infrastructure. And our peer tube's a little wobbly for some reason. So there's like you got running with scissors and then you have running with flaming chainsaws. And that's what we're doing today. Because the very machines we use to make the show are shaky and have literally never been tested on this show before with these profiles. Our peer tube instance is shaky, which is the API we use to go live. And then the whole other element of a brand new test feed that I've never made before that's probably filled with errors that I'm putting out there live for people to use. So I think it's running with flaming chainsaws this week, Brent. I am strangely okay with that. It feels like (laughs) progress, even though it might be a little messy at first. Yeah, we're getting there, aren't we? We're Uh, getting there. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, we will see. We'll see if we make it through the episode, I suppose. So to do this, to create this Jupiter test signal, which you can go search for on the podcast index, I decided to give this application, this web app called Sovereign Feeds a go. And Sovereign Feeds is a tool that lets you create podcasting 2.0 shows. And it has support in here for everything like the value block, the live feed, transcripts, all of that. And when you're done filling out its UI, it 
gives you an XML file that is an RSS feed. Then you put that XML file up on somewhere like object storage that you can get an HTTP URL for. Then you give it back to Sovereign Feeds. You give that new URL to Sovereign Feeds and you give that URL to the podcast index, etc. And it will send out a pod ping that tells all the apps, hey, this XML file has been updated. So instead of the podcast apps checking your XML file, which is your RSS feed, every 15 minutes, every hour, every 24 hours, you know, whatever it is that they might be doing, instead of the podcast apps doing it themselves manually, arbitrarily, individually, now they get a pod ping. And pod ping says, this specific XML file that you subscribe to has been updated. Time to go check it. Let's just use Podverse as an example. So Podverse goes out now and checks that XML file, reads the XML file and sees, I have these live tag items in here, lit items in here. It tells me this is the name of the stream. This is where it's at. This is the time it's expected to go live. This is how long it's expected to last. This is the alternative link. If perhaps you can't play the audio for some reason, here's some details. It's all just in there as plain old XML. But the podcasting 2.0 standard makes this something that all the app developers know how to read and how it should be formatted. And it's been turned into this entire thing now. It's really fantastic, Brent. And uh, it works. <laughs> it's actually working. It's it's working, which is amazing. Uh, I'm you got to be happy about that. I can tell just by your energy that you're kind of thrilled that it's working. Delighted. I've wanted to mess with this for at least half a year. Now I do have some questions because uh, it sounds like this is a pretty manual process at this point. Um, do you see that kind of? I guess it's a new concept, but do you see that changing? Uh, do you feel happy about the progression of this technology so far? Oh boy, is it manual right now? <laughs> right. God God bless him. But so Sovereign Feeds does have some rough edges. Like I've made some mistakes where I've basically had to just destroy everything I've created and then redo everything in the right order again to resolve. So you go to Sovereign Feeds, if you go to it in a in a in a web browser for the first time, it's empty. And then you go search for your existing RSS feed that's already been submitted to the podcast index. So it's a bit of a chicken and the egg thing here. You can also create one, then submit it to the podcast index. But yeah, you, you figure that out. You get your podcast imported. Then it's really a matter of going through and filling out all the individual little fields, getting all of that figured out. Then you generate the XML file and you download it. Then you upload that XML file to object storage. Then you flip it readable by the world on the object storage because by default, it's probably going to be private. Then... Assuming that the podcast index already knows where this XML file lives and other apps already know where it is, then you go back to Sovereign Feeds and you tell it to issue a pod ping. It tells pod ping to tell all the apps to go check the file, then they import the file. And all of that is very manual and requires a lot of me like download file, move file, set file, upload file, change thing, rename thing, right? It's, a, it's like the WordPress days. Yeah, it's like 15 steps to go live. But that's because right now, we're intentionally using sovereign feeds to generate this file for us so we can get an idea of what this file should look like because it's possible to create an RSS file just by going by the raw spec. And we just put what the spec says should be in there. But when you look at the files that sovereign feeds generates, there's a lot of extra stuff in there. Like there's some iTunes stuff in there. that a lot of podcast players have just accepted as a standard. There's a lot of little extra details in there that we might not have been aware of. And you got to assume Sovereign Feeds has probably figured out some of these edge cases and made accommodations for that. And that's why I wanted to try their tooling, because 
in my mind, they're building an app that's sole purpose is adopting and integrating podcasting 2.0 features. So I wanted to see what kind of XML they created. And then from that, internally, I imagine we can create a lot of primitives that will build these basic feeds. And what we've determined is that we can add our own Jupyter namespace addition to the podcasting 2.0 namespaces, <laughs> which can be stuff that is specific to generate items on our website and things like that. So it should be possible for us to generate a true source of truth for both our podcasts in the apps, in the index, and for our entire website, because we can add additional namespace items that are specific to just us and the podcast apps, with probably some exceptions, will just ignore those namespace items that it doesn't care about. And that gives us the ability to create essentially an RSS file that we could rebuild the website from, or you could rebuild all of our entries in a podcast app from, because that RSS file is the source of truth. So the step I'm going through right now is learning what should be in that file, what it needs to look like, how the value tags work when you want something that's declarative for the entire show, and then you want specific deviations just for the individual episode. What does that look like? Figuring all that out right now. It sounds Oof. like declarative podcasting. <laughs> yeah. I love the idea that this source of truth really for us, once we get there, will just kind of be so simple and mutable. Like we can change it if we want to add some new features, you know, to the back catalog and everything pretty easily. Uh, that seems really exciting from the website point of view, at least. But I would imagine in a bunch of other places, too. I would encourage folks to try out the Jupiter test signal. You can go to the podcast index or you can find it in Podverse or Fountain or whatever. Don't delete the main office hours feed because we're not using this feed forever. But try it out for the published episode. I'm not sure if I'll put the actual published episode in there or which means it'll come out after the actual episode comes out or if I'll put like the live feed in there. But I, I want to put something in there just so you guys can see all the different features. Like you could see the way like the credits work for the different cast people, quote unquote. You could see the the transcription if I get that working, which we'll talk about in a moment. All of that. So the Jupiter test signal will be out for a while. It'll be a feed that I maintain as a testing ground as a skunk works for these things that we'll integrate into our own tooling. And I'd like to get your feedback. I'd like to see what you think. We're right now, as we go right now, we're getting live boosts from unfunded, which is so cool. It's that part's working. That's really neat. And so I'll have that feed out there. We'll have it linked in the show notes. If you want to go try it for a bit, don't delete your main feed, but uh, maybe I'll put the live version in there or something. So you got something a little different. Let's talk transcripts, Brentley. I know this has been a topic in our GitHub and in our community for a bit. It has. And there's been work going on there, which I unfortunately have not been a deep part of, but there's some stuff happening. And Chris, I know you were doing some testing as well. So the idea of the transcripts would be we put out a show and then after we do it live, the transcripts happen. So the transcripts wouldn't be happening. Well, I say that now, but actually having transcripts live might be kind of interesting in the future, <laughs> but typically it would be done after the fact. And uh, But we need a way to do this. So we've been toying with a bunch of different stuff to solve this problem. And I say we, but really it's the JB communities come together and uh, worked on testing a bunch of transcription um, engines to see if it can pull voices and transcribe some of the tech terms that we use properly, but also try to, another challenge has been to distinguish between various speakers, you know, so what when Chris is speaking versus when Wes is speaking or Alex or myself. 
that's a bit of a challenge at this point. But really, what we want to do, one of our goals this early year, is to get transcriptions included in uh, our podcast feeds if we can and just be available in general. And so, Chris, I think you've been doing some work on that, too. What have you stayed up all night just toying with things? Oh, boy, Brent. <clears throat> hoo doggy, Brantley. That's what I say. I say hoo doggy, Brent. Um, so hoo doggy. The, uh, the folks in our community that have been playing around with transcripts, you're already well aware of Whisper. We've talked about it a little bit before on this show, but we went all in last night on just seeing what the capabilities of Whisper were and what the dynamics would be for working with it. Because ideally, transcripts should be something that just happen automatically in the background. And then once the transcription is done, the file gets posted online and we just override a stand. So the idea would be like when we publish the episode, because transcriptions, we suspect this is all still getting figured out. But we suspect that transcripts will take longer to process then encoding the episode and publishing it will. And so the episode is going to publish and then the transcriptions are going to come along after the fact, but we don't want to force a new download on everybody. We don't want to make it look like the RSS feed has changed and everybody has to pull the file again. So what we'll likely do is have a, like a, a placeholder transcripts file that'll be in the RSS feed. That'll say something like transcripts are coming soon. Stand by. And then once the transcripts are done, we will just overwrite that file and all the transcripts will be there. We won't have to change anything in the RSS feed. The podcast clients will be none, none the wiser, except for all of a sudden now the transcripts will load. Now, how do you do that? You can pay for it. There's lots of hosted Whisper services, Whisper AI. Um, there's lots of different options, including one of the more popular ones in the podcasting 2.0 community is Otter AI. Um, Otter AI seems really good, I have to say. But the pricing, <laughs> I just, I just can't. And most of them don't even offer like an API. They, they want you to manually upload the file like some kind of caveman and then come back to it in like 30 minutes or something and then download a text file and then go upload it to your server. It's just silly, right? When I, I, we have the flax, we could just run it from a flack, kick out the text file and put it where it needs to go on object storage or whatever. Like it just seems obvious. So Whisper lets you do this on the command line. That's clearly the way we want to go. So we started playing around with something called web whisper and you can find this on github it is a docker contained self-hostable whisper implementation so you can do your own homebrew transcriptions using some solid models and it's pretty neat you uh you select i have no idea i just selected an mp3 you can you can tell it which language or it can just auto detect you can request that it create a subtitle file you can even have it translate and then you kick it off and it will upload the file to the server, and then the server begins processing in the background, and then theoretically delivers you a transcript file. Now, I say theoretically because, now I'm sure there's tuning left to be done, but we wanted to try this, and we have only one server that's truly like just ludicrous powerful. And uh, it's one of our Linodes. It's got 48 AMD Epic processor cores, and it has. 96 gigs of RAM. And so we run Matrix on that because <laughs> we just don't want Matrix to be slow. We want the Matrix experience to be great. And uh, we could also do software optimization to make Matrix run better, but we're working on that. So we thought, well, 
let's throw this transcription thing on this box in the evening when it's not too busy and see what it can do. So around 7 p.m., we loaded up two different episodes, about an hour and 10 minutes long, threw them on this machine. And I mean, credit to Linode, by the way, uh, that took it. (laughs) It took it, dude. (laughs) I have a screenshot here where you can see all 48 cores were pegged to 100%. And the load average was uh, 64. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> and um, when I got into the studio, so that was where we kicked that off around 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. And when I got into the studio around 7 a.m., it was still going. It was no. still going. We eventually just had to kill it. I imagine there's some tuning we have to do. Yeah, that doesn't sound promising. From the tests that I remember on our GitHub issue about transcriptions, we did some calculations that it would take a while, but not all night for two episodes and never actually reaching that. So I wonder if this just got stuck somewhere or yeah, what it's doing. I mean, maybe you have an extra Bitcoin in there somewhere. Yeah, maybe it's doing a little crypto mining at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing that would make sense. I got to say, I mean, we're going to play with it more and tune it a little bit. Um, because obviously that's not going to work, but I think we'll figure it out. I think it's just because we're brand new to the software. Yeah. I think the test case is there and I think gaining momentum on this is actually quite exciting. Uh, I think there is now a bit of an opportunity to work with the, the community a little bit more and try to diagnose some of these issues. Um, and it sounds like the whisper stuff, it seems like every other week there's a new kind of piece of technology around it. So I, I think it's going to progress pretty quickly and I, Got the feeling we might have this integrated pretty soon. I think I think so. One of the old go-to tools we used to use back in the day, which we don't use anymore because we have the uh, guiding hand of Drew editing all of our stuff now. But do you remember the old tool, uh, Alphonic, German company that? Yeah, yeah. This is a little. Uh, this is a little tool for you podcasters out there that are having a hard time with your sound, and you you know you don't have time to become an audio major like Drew. This company focuses on automatic audio post-production processing. So big red flag there. Anytime you throw your audio into a magic box and it comes out on the other end sounding great, you got to be a little, you got to lower your expectations. That said, works good enough that I'm a paying customer. Um, So every now and then, like we have something we need to clean up, we'll throw through it. Um, And it can do all kinds of really cool things. Uh, Let me see if, I'll see if I can, I'll see if I can pull it up without uh, giving away my account stuff. but. You can um, you can have it automatically monitor an FTP or an S3 bucket or a Dropbox file and uh, WebDAV, Zapier, Google Drive, Archive.org, FTP, whatever. Archive.org, that's an interesting use case. Yeah, you can have it automatically monitor for when one of your files, like a WAV file, drops on there. It will ingest it into their service. It will apply a compressor, a limiter. It'll take. It'll remove background buzz. It can process tracks individually, but with keeping in mind that they have to work together. And now, one of the things that they have added, open AI transcription. So now you can, using this Alphonic tool, have it transcribe your podcast, and it'll pr- it'll produce uh, what is called a web VTT file. That, that which is accepted as a podcasting 2.0 transcript standard. So you can use Alphonic to not only help process your audio if you're struggling with that. If your levels are a little low and you you know you don't have, people are 
people are complaining that they have to like keep turning the dial up and down in the car. Those kinds of complaints. I mean, the best thing to do would be to learn how to actually mix your audio. But until you get there, Alphonic will do a lot of that for you because that they specifically are tuned for vocal, uh, you know, tuning and stuff like that. That's what they're all their little software does. And now to add transcription to that. So when you not only do you get a file that's processed and ready to go, but you've also now got a transcript of your podcast and they're doing it. They did an hour and 10 minute show for me in probably about 15 minutes, which is really good. And the transcript is pretty good, too. Well, that's impressive. I mean, it seems like a great service, really, when you when you bundle all that together for someone who, uh, you know, isn't lucky enough to have a true. But uh, 15 minutes is a little shorter than all night, I think. So obviously <laughs> we're doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe they have it on a huge, massive, powerful system. It might not even be their system. Maybe they're yeah. just renting time on. I mean, that would be the smart way to do it, I, I imagine. Well, Brentley, let's uh, let's mention Linode because this is all running on Linode. You know the the, the peer tube stuff that we're doing, uh, the streaming that we're doing, uh, the object storage for the XML files for the RSS feed, the artwork for it that it pulls into the podcast player. It's all hosted on Linode. It really is a powerful combination for us because it's straightforward. You know, I'm not a S3 object storage bucket guy. You know, I don't I don't know my buckets that well, but the UI is really straightforward. And, and the command line client's even better. You know, I can produce the XML file. Boom, here it is on my file system in the downloads directory from Sovereign Feeds. And I just hit the up arrow on my command line to just re-upload it to object storage, then hit it again to mark it as uh, read by the world, and then I go refresh. Uh, it's really nice when you start just integrating the tooling like that. And they also will work with your tooling. So if you want to use Terraform and Ansible or play around with Kubernetes, you can do all of that over there. If you go to linode.com slash Jupyter, you get a hundred bucks. So you could mess around with the next cloud server. You could mess around with setting up a Kubernetes infrastructure, like spin up a dozen nanodes, mess around with that. I mean, you think about it, you could make it your home lab, especially when you get that hundred bucks. It's a great way to support the show. And Linode's going to get even better throughout the rest of the year. As they turn it up past 11, they're rolling out a dozen new data centers throughout the rest of the year. Going to get even better and more locations, which is just... <laughs> That is crazy. It's remarkable. Yeah. 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 Look at this. I, I remember I went through this and I highlighted Amsterdam's in there. But you know what? You know which one I'm really excited about? Not to be selfish. They're spinning up a Seattle data center. <laughs> oh, you've yeah. been asking for that for a while. Now. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> there's, there's several on the West Coast, but there's like some in Europe. Um, yeah. Like everywhere. They're going to be everywhere, dude. They're going to be everywhere. Is there one in the Eastern Rockies uh, of Canada? I could use, I could use that. <laughs> we, we should, we should find out. <laughs> they are, they also are going to, ha- well, you know what you can do is that if they, I forgot the name of it, but they're going to have like this, uh, micro Linode systems too, that they're going to set up in some locations. That so. is a great idea. I mean, I'm, I'm biased, but that's a, that sounds pretty fascinating. Yeah. Maybe they hook you up. You never know. You never know. I think, I think over 2023, Linode's cloud hosting model is going to be the one that is probably, I don't know, maybe considered like the alternative to the hyperscalers that really works. You know, when people are looking to cut back on cost, but they still need performance, reliability, and great support. You know, why dump a bunch of money into one of these duopoly hypervisors that just wants to constantly upsell you and their whole thing is more, 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 right? And then when you need support, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) This is not going to work when people need value. I'm 
I'm bullish on Linode. So go check it out. Linode.com slash Jupiter. Support the show and get a hundred bucks. You know what I'm saying? Well, there's a little bit of podcasting news this week. I don't know. Okay. Probably the one I want to talk about the most. It's because I'm trying to get the word out there for my friends. If you rely on Patreon as a revenue source these days, I think you got to rethink it. Uh, we spun down slowly. Our Patreon over the last year paused all um, account. What do you call it? Transactions, I guess. At the end of December of last year, because of concerns around Patreon. And we have our own member system using Memberful that is owned by Patreon, but it is run by the original staff. Much better support, much better API, much cleaner setup. Not ideal still, though, but it is better. But at Patreon itself, things are pretty bad. And the actual article is behind a paywall from the information. So you can't read the actual article unless you have a information subscription, which is like 200 bucks a year. However, the author posted all of the best bits on her Twitter feed. Uh, she talks about Patreon's six-figure settlement to, to three different female employees who said they experienced unequal treatment by Conte, that's the CEO, and other execs. One employee spoke on the record about her experience settlement and why she refuses to let them silence her. But also in 2021, Patreon's finance execs negotiated a special stock deal for themselves. Real shady looking. When Patreon's outside attorneys heard about the plan, they were stunned and urged them not to do it. They did it anyways. Patreon's been spending big in recent years beefing up its product engineering teams, but nothing to show for it. It took them four years to roll out the video player on Patreon. Product stagnation stems in part from the Patreon CEO, Jack Conte, who is known for being easily distracted by new ideas, especially ones that originate from creators. People who work for him complain. And it goes on. The financial stuff, I think, is shady. The failure to execute on projects is typical. Um, it just feels like a company that is engulfed by everything that has been awful in this over-financialization of tech in this last decade. And it all kind of is... Unfortunately, undercutting creators' ability to make money. I mean, Brent, do you know a single Patreon that has grown very significantly in the last year? Can you think of a single one? Uh, no, well, despite my efforts. <laughs> but this feels like the real people losing, like you said, are the creators. And man, it was like basically everyone is using it. And so I, I, do you see a real great alternative? I mean, we've been talking about alternative solutions for about a year now, but um, this feels like a real blow to basically creators on all platforms, it seems like. I think so, too, because it did have that nice kind of network effect of, well, I got a Patreon account already. And so I'll add one more because, it's, you know, just another five bucks or whatever. And I still my total spend on Patreon is reasonable. And it kind of made it simpler to just add one more project or one more creator that you supported. And I felt like that had a real positive uh, kind of network effect for podcasts. When Jupiter Broadcasting was one of the first Linux podcasts to launch a Patreon. And now like all the Linux podcasts have Patreon. And for a bit, I feel like we were all benefiting from that. But then I also felt like it stagnated. Like we oversaturated at the same time too, perhaps. Maybe a little bit of that was going on. Um, and ultimately, they, the stagnation meant that the user base didn't grow because they weren't really adding features that expanded that network effect. They just kind of quit growing that network. But at the same time, it gets me thinking about like 
kind of that huge model of just like the perfect capitalistic system, you know, where it's VC funded and you grow forever. And uh, it feels like something like Patreon. It's just like a service. And so it, they, you know, they've been massively successful, like in the billions of dollars of revenue. So I feel like, wouldn't it be nice if they were happy to just offer this service and not need to like reach out into all these areas that maybe they're not experts at and then eventually just kind of dissipate on their main original mission. And then, you know, it all falls down and we got to build something else up and this cycle just continues. It seems kind of sad, actually. I mean, you're making, I'm trying not to do it, but you are making the case for Boost and the Lightning Network because the Lightning Network and the Boost are unique in the sense that you get that network effect. The more creators that are accepting Boost, the more we all benefit. It's chips and tides analogy. It's obvious, and we've seen it. There's now 11,300 podcasts that are taking Boost. It seems like that growth is slowing, but it also has been the holidays. But I mean, you, you, I would imagine you're probably going to see some curving of that trend. But 11,300, at least, that are on Fountain that are capable of receiving Boost as of this morning. When we started doing this, it was 4,000. I think that's pretty remarkable right there. That's a lot of boats that are rising with the tide. You have that network effect without any centralized company that always has to in inevitably inject their strategy tax or their broken corporate culture or just politics, which change and ebb and flow over the years. Politics have changed so significantly in the last 15 years since when I started doing this that I have realized that these things just kind of ebb and flow over time and companies get drug along in those tides. I'm not interested in building anything on top of a moving base like that. Not interested in that at all. And so when I started looking at the next 15 years, about a year ago, and I said, what do I need to build my business on? I realized that the funding element had to be on an open network with no middleman. And I was like, well, that's impossible. So we'll do memorable for now. This is really a couple of years ago. And then Boost came along and Boost truly solved this problem. I mean, it, it's hard because you got to buy sats. I, I, I admit that, although that will get easier with time. But Linux is hard. Matrix is hard. Mumble is hard. Podcasts. Podcasts were excruciatingly hard in the beginning. Everything's hard in the beginning that's worth doing. And so I, I can look past that for now. And I really look at this Patreon situation and I think the only solution isn't to go to yet another system that has a company over it that then has to also deal with the credit card companies who have to deal with the banks, who have to deal with the data brokers in the settlement layer, who have to actually deal with the with the actual central banks, right? Like there's all these layers when you have a Patreon subscription versus a boost, which is just an open peer-to-peer -peer network. From the listener to the creator into their wallet, you know, and that to me just that that foundation seems like uh, impossible to beat, regardless of what feature or API a company might have one day. Now, Chris, I think you mentioned in passing that Memberful are owned by Patreon, but run by you mentioned I think the original staff or a different different team at least, but there still seems like a quite a close tie there, so. If we're suggesting that Patreon is sort of slowly falling apart, I would imagine that might go with it at some point. Um, so I'm curious on your thoughts around using boosts to become a membership, you know, because the way the memberships work now is there's a bit of an agreement that 
you know, X number of value or funds will be, you know, shipped over on a monthly basis to receive something in return. But uh, boosts don't really work that way. They work on like a, I'm going to send this thing right now. Uh, but there, I haven't seen any scheduling systems around boosts yet um, or any of this kind of like membership means of looking at the system. Have you seen anything in that area or do you have any dreams of where we might take it maybe in the next year? Yeah, I do see people working on it. I like the hybrid approach because there are going to be people who just would prefer to spend fiat mm-hmm. for multiple reasons from dislike of sats to if they're going to spend funds on something like that, they want to spend fiat and not sats. So there's, I feel like a market demand for a solution that doesn't, that lives within the standard uh, financial system. The problem there, right, is, so that means by default, the membership at $5 a month basically is at cost. And so we have to like set it higher than I think probably people would be comfortable with during a recession, but it's just because there's so many middlemen in there. But it's automatic, what you said. It's kind of a forecastable amount of revenue, assuming the membership stay current or grow or don't decline too much. Those things are all really nice, where part of the wild and crazy uncomfortable thing about a pure value for value and just you send it, you send an amount in is you don't know. Maybe there's going to be some weeks where not much comes in. Well, there will be. There will be some weeks where just not much comes in. Other times... People are extremely generous. Like in this week's episode, we'll see people were very, very generous. People are boosting right now, especially unfunded. Woo. You know, and like you never know when you're going to get that kind of generosity. But with the membership program, you know exactly what it's going to be. And they don't have to mess around with anything that's like, uh, you know, crypto related. So I think there is a benefit to it. And I would almost try to explore, I don't know, maybe building our own around Stripe or something like that if we had to. Just because we have a hybrid model here, really, we, we take some we take the right kind of advertising with the right deals, handcrafted, negotiated advertising deals. We have a membership system where people can invest on the ongoing production of the shows using their fiat fund coupons. And we have the boosts, which are not only a kind of thank you for the existing production. Hey, that episode was great. I got this kind of value from it and a way to message. So it's all of those things, but are also an investment in the future of the network. Uh, and what I mean by that is how many boosts did we get when Bitcoin was 16,000? We got hundreds of boosts when Bitcoin was at $16,000. Well, Bitcoin is now at $23,000. So those sats just went to work for those people who sent them in. So their boosts are doing more work for them now. That's an ongoing inv- investment too. It just takes longer to appreciate. But that's something that I don't take lightly. And it's one of the reasons why what we do right now with our sats is we don't sell them. We turn around and we put them into liquidity. We add open up channels to community members and to podcast apps. We we fund nodes like yours. We fund nodes like mine. We fund uh, also uh, like other podcasts. We'll take some of those sats sometimes and spray them at other podcasters just to help kind of spread the love around. Like that's what we do with those sats. And they just continue to do more work for us as the price goes up. And when the price goes down, there's still a utility there for for channel liquidity and managing all of the lightning aspect. So it's, it's it's the three different tiers each have a lot of strengths on their own, from advertising to memberships to boosts. And I don't really want to get rid of any one of them until until I mean at least it's necessary, I suppose. Well, I guess we'll see where this all goes, and hopefully it doesn't disrupt us too much. 
dun, 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 tuck and roll. Tuck and roll. And for those of you that are trying to tuck and roll, Blueberry is pushing it even further. We talked about how they had released some documentation and we're talking about podcasting to do and updating their plugin. Well, now this week, Albie announced a partnership with Blueberry, the leading podcast platform for hosting. They have a great WordPress plugin and they're going to do value for value streaming integration with Albie and Blueberry to make it like super simple for a whole new generation of podcasters to get into this. Uh, everything I think is so exciting. And the really beautiful thing about it is just Todd Cochran and Blueberry seem to be really seriously committed about communicating to a new generation of podcasters that haven't really gotten it yet and doing it in terms that seem really approachable and understandable with motivations that seem reasonable that I think people will connect with. Do you know what I mean, Brent? Like it's like it is a serious actor with a real reputation that's been around for a long time and is delivered. And now they're, they're advocating this to a whole range mm -hmm. of creators. Yeah. Seems like they have more reach than maybe we might, <laughs> but it's also hitting people when they're first discovering this and first getting into it, which is a nice time. And they're automating a bunch of stuff that you have had to figure out in the last year. So, uh, it's very exciting. Yeah. They're, they're going to put a lot of this just into the tooling including support for the live item tag. That's fire. That's 100% fire. I am so excited about that. So this stuff, it's getting easier. It's getting more approachable. And this is the last one. This one's really, this whole theme is really for people that I guess they're going to be creating. But uh, listener Gene Bean created a behind the scenes, how it's made blog post. Really comprehensive. Really, really great. And how they've integrated podcasting to 2.0 and how he does guests and recording and edits the audio. And I mean, if, if you're looking for information on how to do it, he's figuring it out right now and capturing his thoughts as he figures it out, which is really valuable. So we'll link to Gene Bean's uh, blog post in the show notes. I'm hyped. Very excited to be doing this. You know, this is what the Jupiter test signal. It's really cool. And, you know, even like fun, even more fun about it is the artwork, the album art, of course, was AI generated because, you know, we're doing AI generated transcripts. We're going to do AI generated album art. <laughs> it's pretty good too. I mean, it's I'm not, not bad. Sure which yeah, one's you and which one's me there, but <laughs> yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad, but it's, uh, it's pretty funny. You know, I will say, I think we do certainly have other things to figure out around this because uh, Wes sent us while we're live here, a little screenshot that uh, the Jupiter test signal apparently is uh sending out from the past the date on it december 3 1 1969 so i think we're does that make us the first podcasters out there yeah that's accurate yeah that's part mm -hmm. of what took so much work is i also right. had to get the time machine component yeah function. that was tricky yeah i'm not sure why it does that because i did put the date in there yeah, but i wonder if maybe thing. maybe like it's formatted in a way that podverse didn't read so it just kind of defaults to december 31st 1969 uh, but it's a good day kind of cool that Jupiter test signal is the first podcast ever by like a few decades <laughs> and only the listeners of this show will know that after all Brent, as I've said, the RSS feed is the source of truth. So if it says it's December 31st, 1969, mm -hmm. it's true. Hard to argue. It's true. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, um, why don't we uh, start rounding it out by mentioning that uh, I've updated the splits a little bit on office hours. It's in the test signal feed and on Linux unplugged across all the shows actually. But let's talk about Linux unplugged and office hours just for a moment. Um, I have 
added Podverse and Fountain to our splits. Now, I've done this because Podverse is great and I want to support them. And I would just want to give them a little piece of the action. And I did the Fountain one following Oscar's recommendation. So that way, when people boost, regardless of what app or service or how they boost, their boost and their amount will now be reflected in the Fountain FM charts, which has been tremendous for Lup. Uh, tremendous growth on Lup, thanks to those charts. So I, why well, I'm all in for that. Now the way they have me do it for Fountain is I actually am sending a, a split to my account on Fountain, so it's associated with our podcast or something like that. I don't know, but what I'm doing is I'm just gonna. It's like a three percent split. So I'm just taking that and I'm just going to go around and spray it at people. So now I basically got like a wall and I'm going to spray it at people. You're just auto funding your wallet is really what's happening here. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how you get, that's how you get uh, your, all the other boosts from all the other apps on the fountain charts. That's a neat little hack. Actually. I think that's really clever. Yeah. I think it was really nice of Oscar and the team to figure out a way to make that open because it is an open network. So why not have those charts be open since it's just on the lightning network and the fact that they enabled this, is really great from the fountain folks. It took some work. I imagine it doesn't just happen like that. So uh, that's really cool to see. And then uh, the other thing I did across all of the shows, this is all the shows uh, is drew is in the splits. Now for all the shows that he edits, drew gets a 5% split of the boosts. And so um, on like the podcast index, when you're boosting there, you'll see all the prompts come up now for all these splits. And one of them now will be our editor, drew who's brand new to all of this. But uh, he'll be able to see the boosts and he'll be able to get a little bit of uh, Bitcoin action for uh, being involved in the production of a show. And in the Jupiter test signal feed, he also gets a production credit in the feed. So that is so, so well deserved. <laughs> and finally, right. It's, it's really neat to actually play with this stuff, kind of get it, kind of get my head around like, OK, what do we have to put up an object storage? How does the pod ping process work? How do I stage the live item stuff? And now I'm like, I'm not even done because then I have to go do like, I'll have to do one more RSS feed update for when we end the show. And then I'll have to do one more RSS feed update for when we publish the show. <laughs> it's, this is not sustainable. I'm figuring it out. I'm going to figure it out. Did you want to talk a little bit about how Drew um, got into the splits? Because I think he figured this out last night, literally, right? Yeah, he did. He, he was you know good on him too because it, you know, it can be a little bit of an intimidating topic, I think, you know, because like, how do you all of a sudden just start receiving sats from a boost. And he went the route of Albie for podcasts where he went and signed up for Albie. And then they have a particular workflow you can go through to say, Hey, I'm going to be using this in a podcasting 2.0 split. And they, once you're done signing up, they just say, here's your value block code. And they just, then he just was able to grab that and paste it to me. And I was able to put it in the splits and it's, well, it's choice. But then what's even cooler is uh, in Sovereign Feeds, when you're setting up your splits, because they have a screen to go in there and add everybody's amount that they get, in Sovereign Feeds, that clever bastard has added Albi and Fountain usernames directly. So if you just know somebody's Fountain username, you can click it and add it. So I was looking at the boost and saying who, who would boost at office hours, and it was right around when Marcel boosted the show from Fountain. So I just grabbed Marcel's username and I put it in the sovereign feeds for the split for one of our for a test for episode 21 and boom. Nice. Now Marcel's in the splits that just by so his fountain slick. username. It's really cool. Really cool. And um I imagine that'll be an area that we'll play around with more because uh you know like we could when Elric comes back on or Stefan comes back on to do sure. a show th throw him in the splits. 
I can tell you're so jazzed this week with all of this. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's nice to get it going. And it's nice when it works. You know, you mm. throw it together and you see all the pieces working and it actually works. And they have podping.watch set up as well. So like in Sovereign Feeds, I tell it to do it to, it, to issue the pod ping. And then I have the pod ping watch page up and I, oh, oh, there it is. There goes my show. And then when it's live, it turns red, you know, in the see, like you can tell it to text and it's alive. It's just so great. Oh, gosh. Uh, speaking of live, we got a couple of live booths. Uh, Nomadic Coder sent in 1,555 sets saying, looking forward to all of JB going lit. And Unfunded sent in just a couple of booths. And then uh, we also got one question in a series of booths saying, we know there's a Jellyfin flat pack in the works, but now what else do we need to flat pack? I feel like what would be amazing is for us to create like a podcast recording studio in a flat pack or a Docker image. You know, we've talked about this kind of system before, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't think the technologies were really there to make it very smooth on the user end. But yeah, something like Docker or Flatpak is very tempting, isn't it? Uh, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, I had a recent experience with Steam. I was trying to install it on my new laptop and listener Jeff gifted me a game. So I felt like I had to figure it out and play. <laughs> but the Flatpak was what solved all the problems with me. I installed Steam natively on OpenSUSE and ran into a bunch of issues. Things just weren't working. And it was the Flatpak. It just Flatpak installed the Steam client and they just figured everything out for me. And it was just like plug and play almost. And I got to say, I've changed my tune on, on Flatpaks and Snaps in the last couple of years because it's solving some real problems. And I feel like this is a perfect case for that. Something to play around with. Um, I too have had a great experience with that flat pack. It has worked fantastic for me. All right, so let's get into the uh, to the offline boost with Sir Lurks a lot. He comes in with our baller boost this week: one hundred thousand sats. Longtime listener, repeat booster. Sounds like you need a 100,000 boost because 80,000 sounds like a low bar for such a great show. No disrespect to my fellow boosters, but I'm trying to be a bit of a cheerleader here. <laughs> he says, so step up. <laughs> also, remember that part of the value for value model involves closing the feedback loop with listeners who support the shows. I think this goes beyond boost and includes other means of reciprocating value, time, talent, treasure in whatever measure. Go podcasting. What a great boost. He sent some follow-up lead sats to say, by the way, I like to watch the live streams or replay them, but I also listen to the podcast while riding my bike to work during lunch or taking a shower, cooking. Lots of times when the audio matters the most, but today I listen to the live stream on my phone while showering. Mostly listen, but I still love the video too. Yeah, it's like a hard thing to to really pin down because like you might do 70% audio, right? Mm, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. but every now and then the video is a little bit better option or something like that. And then one last round of Leet Sats from Sir Lurks Lot asking when we get the name for this new Harry show. I'm searching for Jupiter Signal. Well, go search for Jupiter Test Signal. You never know where that could go. <laughs> you never know. Uh, we also got some great booze from B. Peterson 504 with 50,000 sats. I hoard that which your kind covet. Longtime listener since the Lunduke days. JB has been doing it right since the beginning, and that's continuing into the era of podcasting 2.0. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You know, that means a lot. Uh, That's incredible to be listening for that long and to get a little nod that we're going in the right direction. Appreciate that. We try. We try. Good to hear from you, B. Peters. Jeff boost in, Torch boost in with 50, a thousand, a sat. 
Jeff says these chats about the podcast industry are extremely valuable. The ideas around how to use and view sats are great too. Thanks. Well, thank you, Jeff. Thank you. We won't probably see Jeff on Sunday since we're not doing a show, but he's often there for Linux Unplugged. Oh. Marcel came in with 10,101 sats. I just heard this week from a software development YouTuber that podcasting is dead. I believe that some podcasts are actually fading, but dead? I haven't noticed. I'm still getting fantastic content in my feed. JB is a role model for how to make great shows sustainably. You nail it in this episode. Audio has a place, and for me, a more important one than video. Further, since podcasting is decentralized, it can never be completely dead. It can never completely die. Keep up the great work. I've got a podcasting! Thanks, Marcel. Such heartfelt boosts this week. I know, right? How nice Gosh, is that? That is it's getting me in the feels here. <laughs> oh, Brentley. <laughs> you big softy. That is really great. Spectron <laughs> boosts in with 9,001 sats. It's over 9,000! Hey, what happened to the over 9,000 boosts? There have been a lot of boosts that would qualify. But I didn't hear the sound clip in a while. Can you please bring it back? All right, there you go. There you go. We, we've we dialed back the sound bits, except for like the big boost, because, and sometimes the ducks, you know, the people who don't mind the boost, they don't say anything because they're just content to just listen. But the people who hate the sound effects that go with the boost, the people that don't like the little soundboard clips, maybe they don't mind the actual boost, but they hate the soundboard effects. And some <laughs> of them, some of them can be really, really squeaky about their head. You know what I mean? The squeaky wheel? Oh, yeah. And so it's like, you know, do we keep telling them to piss off and deal with it like an adult, or do we just stop playing them as much, which doesn't really cost us anything? And we can play them in a little more limited fashion, and it's fine. Maybe not as much fun, but it's totally fine. So, yeah, we have dialed it back a bit, but uh, I'll keep an eye out for you, Vectron. I'll watch for you. Purple Dog comes in with 3,000 sats. I've got no interest in video podcasts, he says. I only listen at times that my eyes are otherwise engaged. As Chris says, driving, mowing the lawn, cleaning the house, walking the dog. There's a couple of video podcasts that I only listen to, but it's not great because they sometimes assume you can see the video. Mm-hmm. That's a dangerous place to be. It's just so uncomfortable as a listener when you're like, oh. All of a sudden, I'm not part of this conversation. That's exactly <laughs> it, right? And that's what podcasts bring you. It's like you feel you're in the room, but that takes you right out of that experience. Dan Johansson, rocking out in the mumble room right now with us, too, sends in a row of ducks, which I do love the ducks. I enjoy my audio podcast while I do chores around the house, walk the dog, driving long trips, etc. None of those can be done with a video podcast. I do watch video podcasts on YouTube, but it requires me to be sat in front of my screen for between 30 minutes to four hours, depending on the podcast. That's a time commitment, especially as a family man. Keep up the great work in all the shows. Well, thank you, Dan. Appreciate you. Yeah, I, I agree. I, like, if I'm working, I've got a couple of screens, so I could put a YouTube video or whatever up on one of them, and I can kind of listen in the background. But, uh, man, there are some shows I just never, I never would want to watch in video anyways. So that's a, it's, I think that's what we're trying to reach with Jupiter.tube is make it available in video when you feel like we're the show that you want to watch at your desk for a period of time or something like that. But try to be low key about it. You know, try not to care too much. Like I'm trying to be cool with the fact that Brent's video keeps freezing. Try yeah. not to let it bother me because it's not doesn't matter to the audio at all. So we just go on. 
It doesn't matter. You know, it's a minimum viable video product, but we want it to be good enough that you can watch it and that it sounds okay and it looks okay and you can see what we're talking about and stuff like that. All right, rounding out with our last few sets, Mentat boosts in with 512 sets. I definitely prefer the audio-only podcast. I started listening to podcasts and love about four or five years ago as something to keep my brain just sort of busy at night. Then it turned into listening during long commutes. So I'm glad to hear that Podcast Addict is adopting the 2.0 standards. That was the first app I used before giving AntennaPod a try. By the way, someone wrote a Nextcloud app called GPotter Sync that uses the GPotter API to sync your podcast between devices. AntennaPod and Cast both support it. I don't mention that enough. Mm-hmm. That is 100% a thing is there is a GPotter app on Nextcloud and you can point AntennaPod at it and you can have it as your own backend sync. I don't know. That might be kind of fun. I uh, I haven't really gotten there yet. I'm pretty happy with Podverse though. So I, but I could see if you had the if I had the option, maybe I'd play around with that. You know, what's really interesting these days is there's so many options, and a lot of them are really good. So it's like, well, just go find something. I mean, I for, I totally forgot about G Potter, but I used to use it, and uh, oh yeah, would have loved this functionality back then. I mean, they had gpotter.net, I think mm-hmm. that was trying to accomplish similar, but. Uh, I mean, welcome to the real world. And I think it's great that Antenopod incorporates that API. It's also so funny how many things exist as a Nextcloud app. It's like Nextcloud provided these primitives that all these app makers can build on top of. So if you don't want to worry about the web server and the web dab and all that, you know, like you don't have to. You just you get a Nextcloud app. Is there a flat pack for the Nextcloud uh, server yet? <laughs> <laughs> there is a snap, which I use, and it's been super solid. And I used it before I knew anything, but uh, it's been great. I don't know. I've never seen one. Maybe there is. I don't know. Um, Mirror Mortals podcast boosts in with a row of ducks. Podcasting 2.0 and value for value took control of my mind like nothing has before. I actually just, I actually just had Oscar from Fountain on the Mirror Mortals pod, if anyone would like to hear more. Go check out Mirror Mortals podcast for Oscar, one of the co-founders and co-creators of the Fountain app and uh, somebody who thinks a lot about podcasting himself. I agree. The, the reason I think why value for value kind of can take control of the mind is it's like you become righteous about discovering a truth. And that truth can be explained in one simple sentence. The audience needs to be your biggest customer. And when the audience isn't your biggest customer, well, that changes the incentives, perhaps only slowly, perhaps only a little bit at a time, but cumulatively over years, it adds up. And as somebody who's been doing this for a long time, and I mean, I've been podcasting for got to be going on almost 16 years now, and I've been doing sponsorships for 13. I've been making a full-time living for like 11 of those 13 years from doing podcasts. And a big portion of that's been sponsorships. And I've had to walk a line that entire time figuring out where the, where things were like crossing a line that the audience wouldn't be comfortable with because I don't want to ever piss off my biggest customer, right? That's just, that's just bad business. And uh, even if you have like super moral strength and all that, like there can be hard years, bad times, you, you got to really just build it into the business, I think. And I think, you know, having a good character and a good moral fiber, you know, pushes you in that direction, but ultimately you want to build the business in a way where the focus of the business is the listener because that otherwise creates all these malincentives that I have seen over and over again. It's one of the reasons why I went through some of the worst months of my life buying Jupiter Broadcasting back and going independent again is because I realized 
if the focus wasn't the listener, we were going to die. Um, it was, <clears throat> that's the short version of say, I, I went through hell and back because of this lesson. I mean, I learned it to the tune of tens of tens of tens of thousands in lawyer bills. Uh, I spent enough in lawyer bills alone, not even mention the acquisition and getting it back. I spent enough in lawyer bills that it's probably as much as some folks make in a year. I mean, it was devastatingly amount of, it was a huge amount of debt that we had to get through. It was a very expensive lesson. <laughs> <laughs> so take my word, what I say. I know what I'm talking about on this one. Um, and I, so mere mortals, I agree with you. Value for value is like a mind virus once you figure it out. Also, they follow up. Uh, I like to take periodic spurts of listening to the opposite side of an argument. So Chris, what anti-Bitcoin sources do you find noteworthy or compelling? Great question. I think it's always really good to analyze the best counter arguments you can find to anything. I'll be honest with you. This is uh, something that I and the Bitcoin dad, we do very actively. We're always trying to send each other critical analysis, trying to look at it from their perspective. And um, generally, I really don't find criticism that stands up to the technical, you know, or maybe like the monetary properties or whatever. Like, here's an example. I'll give you a concrete example. Jamie Dimon, the guy who runs JP Morgan, right? I mean, his name sounds like money. Jamie Dimon thinks Bitcoin is a scam. He fluctuates on this. Of course, his company offers Bitcoin services, but he thinks it's a scam because it won't really stay 21 million. He says, quote, how do you know it's going to stop at 21 million? This is on CNBC's Squawk Box. He says, maybe it's going to get to 21 million and Satoshi's picture is going to come up and laugh at you all. Ha, 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 ha. These, these are kind of the arguments that kind of sound legitimate in a way. Like, well, yeah, I mean, it's just source code. Couldn't they just patch the source code and put in 50 million Bitcoin? Like, what would prevent that from happening? Yeah, it is a scam. Oh, man, all these fools. You know, it's really easy to go down that, that rabbit hole. But the, the reality is, when you understand how Bitcoin's designed, you realize there's not a single line of code, code that says 21 million Bitcoin. There's no, like, hard cap line of code. That's not how it works. It's the issuance schedule based on the difficulty to mine, which is always adjusting based on how long it takes to mine a block, which is roughly nine minutes. And if, it, if blocks start getting mined faster than nine, nine minutes, the difficulty goes up. And if they're taking longer than nine minutes, the difficulty goes down and it adjusts that way. And based on that difficulty and the issuance schedule of the blocks, there will be 21 million. And we have roughly the idea of the date. But you might say, Chris, somebody could change that. Okay, well, for that to get changed, you have to also then get every miner that mines Bitcoin to agree and accept that patch and merge. You have to get every node, like I have a node, Brent has a node, many of you listening have nodes, tens and tens of thousands of nodes out there, 30,000 nodes, 50,000 nodes, I don't know, thousands of them. Every single one of those nodes who has a different set of incentives than the miners, who has a different set of incentives than the developers, also has to accept the change. The developers, all the developers, because there is no central developer, so all the developers of Bitcoin have to accept the change through a Bitcoin improvement proposal, a BIP. Once that was accepted by the core team, they could apply the patch. That would be called a hard fork. We've had this happen a thousand times in Bitcoin. Every other layer, from the miners to the node operators to the end users, would have to accept that patch. They would have to install that new version and run it. This has happened many times, but the most famous time this has happened, and it's a fantastic book, it's not a long read, 
is the block size wars. And it's on Amazon. It's cheap. The block size wars. And it talks about a time when Bitcoin was young, when a core group of influential people who were close to Satoshi at the time, when after Satoshi had left, tried to take over Bitcoin and change some fundamentals about it. And they did a hell of a campaign. They really, really, really tried. And it was a lot smaller of a project back then with a lot smaller footprints. It was way more approachable. But ultimately, the nodes refused to accept the change. And it created a fork. Now there's like a, you know, another one of these crazy cryptos out there that took those changes, but Bitcoin continued on. The Bitcoin protocol is the same it was on Pizza Day, the, guy that, the day that guy spent all those Bitcoin on pizzas 10, 12 years ago. It has remained the same because of this. Small improvements work out. We cover those in the Bitcoin data all the time. And those are called soft forks. And people can opt to take those, and sometimes they're turned off by default. But it's a very, very sophisticated way that new changes work their way out. And it creates kind of a slow-moving project. It, Bitcoin is the slowest-moving project in terms of development of all of them, but it is also the most reliable. It has over a decade of uptime. <laughs> you know, it, People have tried this 10,000 times, and nobody's been able to successfully co-opt it. But when you hear people like Jamie Dimon, who runs J.P. Morgan, who must know about money, and he says, well, yeah, they could just make, they could just change the limit. Those types of arguments seem compelling. So it seems like there's all these great criticisms out there. But when you understand how it's architected, none of these stand up. Uh, but, but there was a really great thread, one of the best threads I've seen in a long time, a, 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 a thread that had a bounty to come up with the best counter takedown of Bitcoin out there. And uh, the person who did was awarded a thousand sats. Stacker News is kind of like Reddit, but upvotes are sats. And so, you know, you got to spend a sat to upvote and downvote. So the signal turns out to be really good because, you know, there's a little bit of money on the line and comments can get sats too. So people are incentivized to write good comments. It's interesting. Stacker News, stacker.news. And this thread, which has got 80, 80 replies kind of tries to come up with the absolute best arguments against Bitcoin that the Bitcoin community can think of. And I would say these, the best ones are in there and they really just kind of come down to adoption. And essentially if it's too hard for the average Joe to use it, or uh, maybe we get really good fiscal policy and the CBDCs are great and they give you privacy and they can't be taken or seized from you. They can't be shut off and they're mathematically provable and verifiable. And every one of them is accountable. Um, and they're a scarce asset that, increases in value and doesn't inflate because it can be printed to infinity. If policy were to get better in the West, not just in the U.S., but in all of the West, if better fiscal policy and better political policy came along, that could prevent the adoption of Bitcoin. If just the overall, like, you know, I don't know, maybe like the boil the ocean narrative or something were to scare people away, maybe that could stop it. Those are the best arguments I've seen because there's really not a great technical or a great monetary argument. You can read a few good ones in that thread. I'll link it in the show notes. Great question, Mere Mortals. Thank you. Sorry I went on for so long, but I just found that fascinating. And our very last boost came from Rusta Castaversa, a row of sticks for the OBS machine. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. It is much appreciated. How you feeling, Brantley? You still got enough energy to do one more show? I think with a little food break, I'm, I'm up for anything. That's always your answer. <laughs> isn't it <laughs> yeah it always is it always is uh, food is the source of life come on so i think my plan is is to keep the jupiter test signal feed going for a, like another episode or so good so if you go subscribe to it after this week's show when we do another show in two weeks you should see it show up live in your podverse client or whatever and i don't know 
then we'll probably scrap it and take the lessons we've learned and build our own thing. Well, I'm curious, Chris, uh, what are you hoping to learn with it in the next week? I mean, you've learned a ton about implementing it, but I wonder about uh, will you try a few new things or uh, what, what's on the docket for you around this? Well, I'm really looking forward to completing the whole live cycle, right? Because now I have to take us off air and that's an RSS feed update and I got to go through that whole process. And I've never published a new show with it. I republished last week's episode into the feed, but I haven't published a new episode and I haven't gone through that process yet. I'm not sure how I'm going to do that either, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> like I'm going to figure it all out. You know? uh, that's exciting. <laughs> yes, it is really fun. It's, I think the most exciting that podcasting has been for me in many, many years. Very grateful for Adam and Dave and everybody that's working on these apps and everybody that's working on the backend services like Podping and Podping Watch and all that stuff. It's like just a really awesome community that's all working together on these individual components and that actually works. You know, <laughs> it's got a few rough edges, but it actually works. Some very talented people working on this. So awesome so awesome it's so great to see it I thank you everybody who boosted in of course everybody who streamed sats or maybe sent a boost without a message or maybe it was really low amount didn't make it in but we read all of them appreciate everybody who streams and boosts in and supports the show you can get an ad free version of uh, the office hours we're going to actually start spinning this up just by becoming a Jupiter party member if you do want to do the fiat fun coupons membership uh, then you get the ad free version of the SIGs that's going to be exciting I think that's it though Brent I think we're all mm. done all right, I think it's time I... to go pop some popcorn and kick everybody out of here. You gonna kick me out too? No, you gotta stick around. We got another show to do. Ah, right. Don't worry. I I brought you some oatmeal. Thanks. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. See you next time on the lit side.